Can I just start by saying this morning, it is good for us to be here. It is good for us to be here. And we're thankful if you're visiting with us, especially that you can be here on this occasion where Christians come together, saints of God come together to worship and praise Him and encourage one another in our faith. And it's an important thing to do. It's a privilege for all of us to be here in this assembly doing what we're doing in praising and honoring God this morning. If you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17, Peter, James, and John went with Jesus. He led them up to a high mountain. We think this is probably in the northern part of Israel. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. It is good for us to be here. To see Jesus in his transfigured, glorified state would have been truly a sight to behold. What a good, marvelous experience Peter was having there. And with Moses and Elijah, people of faith of the past joining that uh, experience, what an exhilarating thing it must have been. It's only a chapter later where in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20, Jesus Christ says that where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I don't think that Jesus there is talking exclusively about the assembly of the Lord's church to worship, but it includes that. And so when you put those two things together, Peter realizing that it's good to be in the presence of the Lord, and then us realizing this morning that we are here in the presence of the Lord, may I say again, it is good for us to be here. We sometimes have a significant drop in attendance, especially on Sunday evenings and Wednesday nights. Some of that is understandable. Health issues make it really difficult for some individuals here to even get out once. And I am really encouraged when I see those who are really infirm and have difficulties, should probably be shut in all the time, but make such an effort just to be here to assemble once a week. And I know the Lord appreciates that and your effort to honor Him and to glorify Him is noted and it's an encouragement. Other things interfere with worship at times. We sometimes allow work to do that, sometimes without much choice on our part. A lot of other things can hinder a person attending when they could attend, being here when they could be here. Plainly, there are some Christians who attend every service that they possibly can, uh, whenever possible. Uh, they, they're present for Bible studies on Sunday morning, Wednesday evening. They attend uh, the services on Sunday morning and Wednesday evening. Uh, when the church has a gospel meeting, they're, they're here for every, every service. And they frequently attend meetings even of other congregations because they just love to be where the Lord is present. And that's really commendable. 
And it's just as plain that others are not as committed to being in assemblies when the Lord is present and where the Lord is present. So why the difference? Why the difference in the attitude and the commitment that some have or don't have, as the case may be? So that's the age-old question, right? I know for preachers it is. (laughs) It's the age-old question. I don't know that I have the answer to that. What I do know is that it's good for us to be here. And if we maybe really understood why it is good for us to be here, we'd try to be here more frequently. And we would want to get the goodness of the experience of assembling with the saints. So that's kind of where this lesson is going. It's not an indictment of anybody in particular. It's just something where I'm trying to look into scriptures and say, why do do I want to be here? Why is it so good? I, I know intuitively as a Christian, for me, I don't really have to think about this. It's good for me to be here. When I, you know, I don't go through a checklist of things. Well, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. And so all of that was good, and so it's good for me to be here. But maybe we need to look at some of those things that would be on a checklist of why it's good to be here. So it's good for us to be here because it's good to worship God. It's good to show love for Him and honor Him. And the Bible talks about this in a lot of different places, particularly in the Psalms. Psalm 147 and verse 1, praise the Lord for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and praise is beautiful. We just sang uh, some beautiful songs, uh, encouraging songs. I love uh, on Zion's glorious summit stood just to think about the redeemed singing praises to God. A numerous host redeemed by blood. They hymned their king in strains divine. I heard the song and strove to join. And one of the things we're going to be saying is that's a picture of somebody having a view into the throne room of heaven itself and seeing the multitudes around the throne praising God with all that they have and all that they are. They hymned their king in strains divine. And I heard the song and I strove to join. I want to be a part of that one day, don't you? And so one of the things we want to say here this morning is that we are here. It's so good to be here because it's going to be so good to be there. To be a part of that scene of worship for eternity. Worship is pleasant and it's beautiful. It is good to get close to God. To be in His presence. It is good, the psalmist says in Psalm 73 and verse 28, it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all His works. When we pray to Him and we preach His Word and we read His Scriptures and we remember His Son and we we even give, all of that is bringing us closer to God and in more attuned fellowship with Him. It's it's so true that our worship... uh, if it's right, is focused on God, brings us into His presence. It can even bring those who are unbelievers 
to come to know him. Paul talks about that. I mentioned this before in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verses 24 and 25. He's talking about the assembly of the saints and some things that were going on in the assembly of the saints. But he says, uh, if, if everything's going right and, and th- people are, are doing what they ought to do, you might have an unbeliever come in and he sees all of this and he falls down on his face and worships God as well and reports that God is truly among you. He sees that God is there. I, I, I believe that one of the greatest things we can do to bring unbelievers to Christ then I am all for, let's have home Bible studies, let's talk to people at work about Jesus, let's, you know, encourage all of that. But I tell you what, if you get an unbeliever in an assembly of the Lord who's open-minded and open-hearted, it's going to touch them. And it may be one of the best things. I I, I don't put down people who, you know, say, well, I invited so-and-so to church as if that's nothing. That's a lot. That's a lot. To be here because it's impactful and it's meant to be to see people who realize that God is in their presence and who are honoring him with all of their might it's right and good to give thanks to the one who's done so much for us the psalmist again, Psalm 54 and verse 6, says, I will freely sacrifice to you. I will praise you, your name, O Lord, for it is good. He's delivered us out of trouble. And my eye has seen its desire upon my enemies. In other words, things have gone well with me. Ha- I've had victories. Uh, he, he, he's led me in life's way. In Psalm 92 and verse 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High. So much that God is doing for us, has done for us, continues continues to do for us, and will do for us. And all of that we get to thank Him for. What a good thing. Have, Have you ever had somebody do something for you and you didn't know what it who it was? If you remember here, you you probably had that happen several times. (laughs) Because people are all the time doing things and you don't know who did it, you know, but they're they're trying to help you out. And that's great because they don't want the credit. You know, their the, the reward is in heaven. That's fine. That's the way it should be. But from the receiving end of that, so many times I've just wished, I wish I knew who I could thank for that. <laughs> I wish I, I, could, I know the person so I can tell them how much I really appreciate what they did. You know what? For every good thing that happens in your life, every good gift that you ever get, every good gift comes down from the Father. You know you know who's giving it. And when we come together, we thank him. We are showing our appreciation all that he's done for us. It is good. It's good to be here to worship God. It's good to be here to obey God. You know, obeying God is quintessentially good. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 and 25, We're encouraged, commanded, really. Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, it says in verse 24. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. When we come together, what are we doing? We're doing something God said to do. We're we're fulfilling the command not to forsake assembling. It's a command like any other command, isn't it? 
It's something we know God expects us to do. Jesus says repeatedly, if you love me, keep my commandments. It shows love to him to keep his commandments, to obey God. When we assemble together, we're keeping the command to edify one another, to build one another up. That's why we're here. That was what was indicated actually in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider one another to provoke or stir up love and good works. So when we're here, we're thinking about each other. How can we encourage each other? That's part of what an assembly is all about. Romans 14 verse 19. Let us pursue the things which make for peace and things by which one may edify another. The word edify just means to build up. That's what we're doing when we're here. Thinking about one another, trying to build one another up. Our presence alone encourages others. I've said this already concerning some for whom it is difficult to attend uh, because of health reasons or physical problems, but their presence always encourages me. The presence of visitors always encourages me. We, again, we have people here this morning who are uh, from out of town. They're just, I think, passing through, and they've, they've stopped because they want to be a part of an assembly where God is praised, where worship is going on, and they want to be an encouragement, and they are, and we want to encourage them as well. So that's something that goes on, and we're commanded to edify one another in this way. But let me ask you, can we really say that we are edifying others when we, by choice, are absent from assemblies? Are we keeping the command to edify others when I I could be there, but I choose not to be? I believe that's disobedience. When we attend so infrequently that we hardly know the other members, let alone can edify them. When we could be here, but we choose not to be. When we're not present to notice others who are having spiritual problems. You see, we're commanded to edify one another. And when I say, well, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to go to that assembly, I'm not going to go to worship God, I'm in essence saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to edify today. <laughs> you know, I know God said to edify, but I'm not going to do that. I think it's something to think about. We're commanded to seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus said, Matthew 6 and verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And the things that he's talking about are our material necessities, uh, food, clothing, place to stay. Seek him first. Put him first. Put him first above secular pursuits. Put him first above your job. You say, well, he, he also has commanded me to work to support my family. Yes, he has. (laughs) And I understand that. So you might say, well, I have two conflicting commands. Which one do I keep? Well, the best answer to that is both. Both. You say, well, I can't do that. Well, try to work it out so you can. Right? (laughs) Try to work it out so you can. Seek first the kingdom. These are commands. It's good to keep commands of God. It's good to grow spiritually, isn't it? Most of us as Christians recognize that we are not all 
that we want to be. We are not all that we should be. We want to get better. We want to get stronger. We want to be more faithful. Most of us who have attitudes attuned to what God wants us to be understand all of that. Christianity, the life in Christ, is a continual uh, experience in self-improvement, or I should say, God-improvement. And our services are designed to provide for spiritual growth. All the things that we do are for edification. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14 commands that. Let all be done for edification in the assembly. In Acts 11 and verse 26, you remember that Barnabas goes and finds Paul, who had gone to Tarsus, and he brings him to Antioch. And the text says that it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. Assembling with the church and teaching people. And it cannot be coincidental then that the disciples were called Christians. Those who are like Christ, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Well, why? I don't, I don't know all the reasons, but I do know this. They'd just been assembling for a whole year. <laughs> a whole year they'd been assembling, learning, teaching. And the saints were built up, and they became more Christ-like. You know, even the songs that we sing are designed to teach one another. There's so many great messages in so many of the songs that we sing. Colossians 3.16 instructs us, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Church assemblies are designed to provide for spiritual growth, and they're designed to provide a diet that helps us grow. You can't really grow as God intended on a starvation diet. You're going to shrink. Peter uses this metaphor in this way in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You want to grow? I, I, I do. We're not going to grow if we're not feeding. And, and one of the, not the only, but one of the best ways we can get a lot of good spiritual food is by coming, going to the Bible classes, being serious about our study there, participating in those classes, participating in a worship service like this by careful listening, taking notes, following in your Bible, thinking, applying. These things, these things spur our growth, growth that is good. Those who attend irregularly and who choose to do so just often suffer from spiritual malnutrition. There's a lack of growth. There's a lack of being challenged spiritually. And so they become more and more susceptible to temptation, susceptible to temptation, and find it difficult to live strong, joyful, and godly lives. It's good for us to be here because it's good to help the church function properly. See, the church needs all of its members to function properly. The church is like a body, and just like your body, if one of the members isn't working or is absent, uh, so my, my, my um, fifth grade teacher in elementary school was also our football coach, Mr. Sini, great guy. Mr. Sini, um, he was coaching us in flag football. 
and he was, uh, he was playing quarterback, you know, and showing us where to go and all this kind of thing. But he was playing quarterback, and I was, I was playing a defensive end. Those who don't know football, bear with me here. So I, I forgot to tell you the one thing about Mr. Cini. He only had one finger on his throwing hand. He lost four fingers, I mean three fingers, in an accident when he was young. And so he would grip the football like this. He could still throw it pretty well. It was kind of amazing, really. I was defensive end. I came around the corner, you know, the tackle let me go, and I came around the corner, and just as he was throwing, it was really easy to knock that ball out of his hand because he was missing three members. When we have missing members, Satan gets stronger. You know, he's the defensive end trying to get you. When we have missing members, Satan gets stronger. Can more easily keep the body from doing what the body's supposed to be doing. Listen to Paul as he talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15. That we, as a body, speaking truth in love, grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. And let's go also over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And notice these familiar words again about the church being a body and every member being essential. We need everybody. The church needs everybody to be a part of it, to be here if possible, and function as we ought. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and starting in verse 12. Paul says, As the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Christ is like that. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Everybody in the body of Christ got there by being baptized into it. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, had have been made to drink into the one spirit. In fact, the body is not one member, but many. Many. If the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Well, just because you think, if a foot could think, you know, that I'm not of the body, that's, you know, he's still of the body even if he thinks he's not. There might, there might be somebody here who is a Christian, but for some reason you think you're not part of the body. Uh, that can't be. <laughs> if you're a Christian, you're part of the body. And the body needs all its parts. The body needs all its parts. For he goes on to say, if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smelling be? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members but one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or that, again the, he, the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are, focus on it, necessary. Necessary. Everybody's necessary doesn't matter what part of the body you are. Everybody's necessary. 
being here in a local church assembly helps you to find and fulfill your function in the body of Christ. In fact, I might say that it would be virtually impossible to do that if you're neglecting the assembly. We all need to find and fulfill our function in the body. You see, the church is dependent upon its members, all of its members, to be what Christ wants it to be. It's good to be here because it's good to be a a good example. We need to be good examples for one another. It's great to have someone who can pattern for you or model for you good and proper behavior in various situations. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul challenges Timothy to be that example. He says, let no one despise your youth. Even young people, young people, can be examples of good things. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be an example to the believers, the New King James says. In all of these areas, You know what? Christians are to set a good example for other Christians. That's what you get out of 1 Timothy 4.12. Faithful church attendance is a good example. And I guarantee you, here's what I've seen in churches over the years. And, you know, I'm not as old as some of you, but I'm, and I'm not quite as old as dirt, but I'm getting plenty old. And I've seen a lot in churches over the years. And what I've seen over and over again is in a congregation where somebody starts doing something that's different and maybe it's not really a great thing to do. Others will catch on to that and start doing it too. And, and if so-and-so can, can be absent because you know they've got a ball game on Wednesday night, then it must be okay, so we'll do that too. You know, you just name it. When it comes to attendance, people are looking around. And, and if brother so-and-so, who, well, he's, you know, he's highly respected. He may be an elder or deacon in the church. If brother so-and-so can use this excuse to absent himself from assembling with the saints, then I, I know I can too. And it just catches on. You may think you can survive on one service a week. But you need the encouragement of others. And they need your encouragement. And it's a good example to set. Not only for your brothers and sisters in Christ. But also for those in the world. Follow me here. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and verse 12. Then we're going to make an application. I want you to really think about this. 1 Peter 2 and verse 12, talks, Peter says to these uh, Christians of the dispersion, he says, have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, we've already said that one good work is just assembling with the saints. We've already demonstrated that from scriptures. It's, a, it's good to do because it's a good work. It's a good thing. 
So we've already established that. So one good work that your neighbors in the world might see you doing besides, you know, helping neighbors and uh, being charitable and all of those kinds of things, one good work they might see you do is just what they would say, well, he goes to church. They wouldn't say he attends the assembly of the saints or whatever, but they would say he, he goes to church. And you know when people of the world say that, very few of them say that in a negative way. When somebody in the world observes that here's a Christian, he goes to church. He's, he's not going to go to our, um, you know, weekly uh, night at the bar on Wednesday nights because he goes to church. <laughs> he's not going to go to this uh, Sunday thing that we've got planned because he goes to church. And even when it's in situations like that, he's not going, he's going to try not to work a Sunday evening shift if he can get out of it because he goes to church. You see that? And, and even people in the world, when they say that, nine times out of ten, they're not saying it negatively about the person. They're saying it admiringly. Because they respect you for, you, for, for doing that. They respect you. Look at it again now. They may by your good works glorify God in the day of visitation. Can I tell you the day of visitation there, if you study the concept in Scripture of when God visits somebody, almost always, especially you go back to the Old Testament, when, when God visits somebody, sometimes it's with retribution and judgment, but most of the time, actually, when that phrase is used, it's he visits you with salvation or with blessing. So here you've got people in the world, and at some point in their lives, they're going to need God, and they might turn to God, and they might, just might, come to you if you've been that person in their lives who always goes to church. They'll glorify God in the day of visitation. It's good for us to be here. It's good for us to be here because it's good for us to be ready for Jesus to come again. Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, 13 to watch, you know not the day or the hour. In coming to worship assemblies, we are watching. We are being reminded of who Jesus is, of what he wants of us, of how to live our lives for him. We are redeeming the time, making the best of our opportunities when we come together to worship him. Attending, attending services contributes to our preparation for eternity. We sing songs about the Lord's coming. We hear lessons that help us prepare ourselves for eternity. And, I might add, should the Lord come again on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night or during a gospel meeting, I can tell you where you and I would both want to be. For sure, if the Lord comes at one of those times. 
Lastly, as we think about why it's good for us to be here, it's good to have a clear conscience. You know what I think? I think people who willfully choose not to attend assemblies when they could, I think they have guilty consciences. I think they know they should be here. I think it bothers them that they're not. And I think the devil uses that so that folks who make those choices will ultimately begin to come up with all kinds of rationalizations and excuses why it is that what they're doing is okay, to try to salve their conscience, to try to make themselves feel better. And so they'll reason all of that out until eventually, I'm okay doing what I'm doing, which is nothing. In 1 Timothy 1.19, We find that God expects Timothy to have a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. If you don't have a good conscience, you're in a sinking ship, man. You're going to suffer shipwreck if your conscience isn't good. The the Apostle Paul said in Acts 24 and verse 16, I always strive to have a conscience that's without offense toward God and man. He's always trying to have a conscience that's clean. But when you miss because of a reason that's not really a reason, your conscience will be guilty. And if you don't do something about it, it might wind up being seared and not working at all. Last verse for this morning is Hebrews 13 and verse 18, where the Hebrew writer expresses a lot of confidence in the people to whom he's writing. Remember, he's the one, back in chapter 10, the Hebrew writer, writing to these same people and said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the custom of some is. There were some people who weren't assembling, but the ones he was writing to, they seemed to be assembling. And then he expresses this about them in Hebrews 13, 18. He says, we are confident that we have a good conscience, and he's including himself and them, that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. Worshiping with God's people in assemblies is living part of living honorably. If we make it a habit, to excuse ourselves from assembling when we could be here, not to be here when we should be here. If we make that a habit, can we say, can we really say we have a good conscience in all things and we're desiring to live honorably? I don't think most people can say that in that situation. I I wish that all people believed and felt that it is truly good to be here As a gospel preacher, true confession moment, okay? <laughs> it is disappointing to me when people aren't here that I know could be here. 
It's really disappointing. I get over it, okay? <laughs> Try to encourage when I can, let people know that I missed them. But it, it... So I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about that feeling of how, how, how I feel when somebody's not here that I know they really probably could be, really should be. And then I thought about how God's going to feel after judgment when there are people who are not in heaven who could be but chose not to be. That sort of made my feelings pale in comparison, right? It is good for us to be here. Not only that we may be prepared to be there, but that we may be permitted to be there. Because as has been said long ago, A religion that won't take you to church is not likely to take you to heaven. Heaven's gates are wide open. All 12 of them. They don't close. God's inviting you into his presence. This morning, if you've never named the name of Jesus, if you don't have that hope of heaven, I'm so glad you're here. And I pray that you'll make a decision this morning to do what you need to do so that you might be there. If you're ready to make that decision and name the name of Jesus, turn away from sin and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins, we're ready to help you. We'd ask you to come while we stand and while we sing.